Hello and welcome to the Irish NFL show. Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying the show, please vote with your fingers and rate, review or subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Every click, every like and every positive review and every additional subscriber really does make a huge difference. It helps others to find the show and we really do appreciate it. We'd also love to see you at our upcoming live show at Busker's On The Ball Temple Bar in Dublin on August 21st with our special guest, Sky Sports NFL analyst Phoebe Schechter. Full details on the website and on our social channels and tickets are available on eventbrite.ie. We'd love to see you then. Now, on with today's show. Welcome into the Irish NFL show. Delighted to be joined by Andrew Morgan to run through all the latest NFL news. Andrew, I was, was going to kick off with Sean Payton. We'll kick off already with it. But there was, it's, it's Todd Brady's birthday. He's giving himself a birthday present. He's just confirmed in the last hour or so that he's become a minority shareholder of Birmingham City. We had spoke with this fact around the fact that he's a singer with the Raiders. I didn't see this one coming. I did. It seems to be the trend there was NFL players trying to get in, get themselves involved. The English football league of Northwater Wrexham, uh, born in Sydney recently with, with AJ Watt, and now Brady has confirmed his entry into Geraldine and with uh, Archer with Birmingham City. Your initial thoughts on this one? Um, well, just to put it in context, I asked for tickets to go and see a play for my birthday. Um, I didn't ask for tickets. I didn't ask for a minority share in a football team. So clearly, it it, it shows that. Um, we, me and Tom Brady live in different worlds, if that wasn't already um, completely obvious. Um, I think it's interesting. I, I really would like to know who managed to sell him on the idea of um, a championship stroke League One side who, who haven't had much success in the last few years, not many trophies. Um, I think one of their biggest uh, claims to fame was selling Jude Bellingham um, and selling him to Dortmund and making a lot of money off him. That's pretty much what Bergen City have, have been famous for in the past. And now they've got his brother, who's uh, who's pretty decent as well. But yeah, it's, it's a weird one. Obviously, he's, he's a minority owner. He's not going to be coming in in the same way that like Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney were. I think it's something that you mentioned as well. He's, he's retired from football and he is really, really bored. He's not got much to do. Um, and I think th- this seems to be what, what he's doing to try and like grow his, his name and his brand and branch out into the next phase of his career. Yeah, I know we spoke about it previously from various podcasts that he's kind of it's been highlighted that he wants to remain in the Miami area for his, his kids are growing up and he wants to have pretty folks on, on the parent side of, of his life, which I suppose has been uh, not really possible um, when you're an NFL player and the commitment time and effort you have to give up be, be fair yet. Um, I like the way you said, I know this is an NFL podcast, I like the way you said, Chapter stroke league, league one side. I think you're showing your Wolves legions there. Um, Ripping the you're from reasonably close to that local local area. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what comes of it. Uh, again, these people aspire to chase the world when they come in. I just don't think he's going to get all the aggressive. And I think the thing with it as well, getting into the English football, and I, I don't know, I would watch the, um, the Disney Plus documentary about Wrexham and something that happen there and I imagine what happened here is they get blown away by the the difference in support and the fervor around British football compared to American football. I mean these are hardened like at, like really, really passionate fans who despite all of the 
uh, the Troubles will still fill a stadium and go and see their team. You see, like, Arizona or Houston, they can't fill a stadium when their team are having, like, bad years and they're in the dog days, whereas the passionate support in, in British football doesn't matter if it's Premier League, Championship League, One League Two, is completely different. So it'll be really interesting for him to see that and all of the other things that come with um, a British football team. Yeah, the direction I was doing thing that was really striking was how involved the two owners got involved with the community itself and trying to, I suppose, help people in the community. It'd be interesting to see what comes up. But look, that's we'll jump into the, the, the real reason we're here, which is to discuss the May NFL news, and we'll kick off Sean Payton in that topic over the course of the last week. We had our old live show earlier in the week with the guys, and it was the first piece in which we discussed and. And I kind of twitched on the fact that I was disappointed that Sean Payton rolled back on it and with some insanity that I wore with damage control him. But uh, it certainly juices things up a bit, especially for that week five game. Um, what's your initial thoughts on it? Were you surprised that he went down the throat? And um, you think, we, are you buying his narrative that he was a year out of game? He's forgotten the kind of practice hours, which Hackett's kind of alluded in, the, in his press conference to say, is a call to bottom of Koji, and we shouldn't really you know, disrespect our challenge each other in this. And uh, he's got them the bad path. And it, I suppose like Sean Payton is a mixed character. I think it's one of those you take it or leave it. Good, you take it or leave it kind of guy. Where do you sit on this one? He's, and, uh, do you agree with what he said? So when I heard it first, and clearly we've got a, uh, a British football theme to this podcast. I, I read it, I heard it, and I straight away thought it was Jose Mourinho. Somebody who will take all of the pressure off his team and absorb it himself, flip it, turn it on into somebody else and let them throw. That that was the first thing I thought that he was trying to do. And if you look at it, there there are clearly a lot of things that he had to put out fires of. Like one one thing that came out from um from the Broncos over the off season was the fact that Russell Wilson obviously came in. He installed his own guys he had his own office he had his own strength and conditioning guys in the building and Sean Pay- Payton straight away came out and said no they can go we're doing it my way so there have clearly been a lot of things that he needs to to write and to adjust on but yeah I, I, I and I, and I it, it would have been fascinating if the if the hard knocks cameras would have been in the Broncos to be able to see a the fallout from that first one and then sit B how how that would have then been taken when he did backtrack on it because here's a situation where Nathaniel Hackett is a very well liked coach in the league always has been yeah but um, son of a really famous um, coach as well he has a lot of respect clearly he didn't do very well as a head coach there, were, there was talk of him being fired almost as early as week eight or nine in the season last year it just wasn't going well with what he was trying to put in place but yeah, I, I think it's interesting because now you've got, obviously you've got that situation in week five where there's going to be a lot of media attention. It's going to be really, really built up. But it's interesting in any kind of business. I took over as a head of PE in September and I I inherited a, a PE department that was in the toilet. It was that bad. I knew that the last guy didn't do a very good job. We all knew the last guy didn't do a very good job. But if I sit there bashing him, that doesn't improve anything. We, we take what happens and we move forward. And that's what we kind of like did. Um, same with taking over an American football team. You don't, it's, it's, you, if you talk about the things that you've changed, you don't have to then make reference to how bad it was because 
the media and everybody else can fill in those blanks. So there's a lot of things to kind of unpick with it. I think it was foolish for him to say it. Um, he said that he had his uh, fox head on and he said absolutely zero things that were um, of any kind of controversy whilst at Fox um, because he was trying to at some point get back into the league. So I think that was him trying to hedge his bets. But yeah, I, I would have preferred to see him go one way or the other. Either go the Jose Mourinho route and stick it and say, yep, that's what I said, Subi. Um, or don't say it at all. But don't say it and then and then go back because in the locker room and then with the players as well, it can it can bring some mixed messages. Yeah, and kind of noted that as well. He said like along the lines of I've been kind of all people accountable for their words and actions since from the day in which I came in. I think you're right. He's highlighting the Russell Wilson saga there in terms of what he did last year. And then he comes out with his kind of outlandish piece in USA Today, the article. But did he roll back on it? Like, he rolled back it in the sense that he said, in the position and power I'm in in the NFL, I shouldn't have said it. But I don't think he rolled back on what he said. I still think that the hell in a quiet room with <clears throat> off camera, I think he'd say, no, I stand by what I said. It's just the manner in which I went to is it was all wrong. And I don't agree with him that he said this wouldn't be controversial on Fox. If he said that last year on Fox, um, this would get the, I believe this would get the scrutiny and attention which it's getting today, whether you're a coach in the league. Because it's Sean Payton at the end of the day, he has won a Super Bowl and he's been a, just Super Bowl. He should have been in the second, unfortunately. Bad officiate. Maybe that I mean, things would have been easier for him if he had two rings. Certainly don't think he was holding back on what he said. No, it was almost like I've, I've got in trouble for it, but my point still stands. Um, and he, and controversy has always followed him. Obviously there was, there was bounty gate, um, before when he was suspended for a season for what he was, the, the culture that he was kind of not so maybe I, I, I am a little rusty on that one, but maybe it wasn't the fact that he was putting the bounties up on the board and, and updating the, uh, the Deadpool, but he was in, he was the head coach. Obviously he was endorsing the culture that was going on in the team. So there's always been things that follow him around but the things that do follow him around are he has very well coached teams who are incredibly um, physical and aggressive who always play hard play consistently and succeed so he knows what he's going to bring to the table with his team this season um, and it's a weird one because he has now taken all of that pressure off the team he's now able to kind of like say it's all on me I'm I can take that it allows Russell Wilson to kind of like develop more in the in the quiet in the wings, um, and to get his career back on track because signed a massive contract and absolutely um, absolutely funked it in the first year. It's going to help the team get their business together. But when it comes to that big game, it's going to be really interesting to see how that team rallies behind him. Are they going to stand up for the coach that has come in and helped to improve things, or are they going to go the other way with it? So as a microcosm over the course of this, the year and the season, it's going to be interesting to watch the Denver Broncos. Yeah, and this kind of ties into the next question because we have done a series on records of the off-season, you know, where we've been recording around coaching pressures. And we've had <clears throat> various different coaches on the list, ones who have been successful, ones who are still remaining successful. Because every coach in the league, feels me, has an expectation for the season. And I asked the question, what is... The expectation for him and the Broncos on what's an exceptional season for this team because you touched on week five, like whether the team will rally behind. I think 
you can certainly do it. That's straight depending on what the record is coming from. You know, they start with the Raiders, showing the Dolphins in their week three. I can't remember the week two, but they've got. You would say they've got arguably winnable games at the start of the season where they could go into that week five game in stronger positions than what they were last year. And and again, is he putting himself in done it? It's a strategic move, right in the sense of he's making it very clear. If I can't fix Russell Wilson, it's not on me. It's because Russell Wilson is the player which the Seahawks thought he was, which is why Bernard's pass is what the reason they moved him on. So, like, is it all on him? And what's the, what do you feel for Broncos in an AFC West is an acceptable season? I think it's all going to come down to the quarterback. That's it, that's the easy answer, it, it, it's a bit of a bit of a fob of answer, but it, it's the, the question is going to be by week ten, is it Jarrett Stidham or Russell Wilson in the centre? Has has Sean Payton taken him as far as he can go? So you look at uh, you look at Drew Brees for example. Drew Brees was a second round pick coming out of Purdue, so wasn't wasn't one of the top five in the position that was uh, that were going to be picked in that draft. Um, played at a level uh, in San Diego under Marty Schottenheimer where they had to think about drafting another quarterback and obviously took Philip Rivers uh, with the Eli Manning trade and all that kind of stuff. He thrived in a system that was created by Sean Payton. And what he wasn't going to go to this Hall of Fame without what Sean Payton could do. So Russell Wilson now has all of those tools and that playbook and that system for him to help succeed, to help him succeed and do what he needs to. He's not the same player as he was because he's not the same running threat that he was. He's gotten older. He's had injuries. There are things that he did in Seattle, which he's just not going to be allowed to do um, in Denver. But I mean, there were there was rumors last year he was calling plays from the old Seattle playbook because he just literally wasn't wasn't studying and wasn't as engrossed in it as he should have been. So it's going to come down to that because ultimately they've got a really good defense. They they play they, they retain a lot of their players there. You look at their their secondary. You look at the um, defensive line. They've got some really strong players there. Obviously, Tim Pratch, Tim Patrick just um, was lost for the season with an Achilles injury. But you look at the quality that they've got. They signed um, Mike McGlinchey in the offseason. They signed Zach Allen. They made some big investments in the offensive and defensive lines. And when you've got Jerry Judy, Corton Sutton um, as your weapons on the outside, that that's that's going to be a potential. Unfortunately, they are in the AFC West. They've got to they've got to try and at least split the charges and the Broncos to do something and get to the playoffs. But yeah, I, I think if it wasn't already under the spotlight before the uh, the press conference, Sean Payton's going to be judged on what he can do with Russell Wilson. If he if he's gone, then how are they going to be able to continue the rest of the season and what do they do moving forward? Because that was a massive contract extension they signed with the draft picks that were given for the trade and it's going to be interesting to see how he salvages the Russell Wilson project also interesting to see how, the, how Javante Williams back after serious injury last year really still running back in his first year we'll move on to running backs because again I think I, I would argue this has been the uh, start out of the offseason this running back uh, running back Clark, uh, we seem to be but uh, it's and again this week it hasn't gone away it was, obviously we had the tag deadline in July, and, and neither of the three running backs that were in picture that they got result of their Raiders, Cowboys, and obviously the Giants, Saquon, Saquon Barkley. Now, the Giants, I think Barkley 
rolled back a bit and, and reluctantly accepted that one year deal just to get the initial the initial incentives. So I think he very much what he was talking about holding him in his plan that he doesn't seem to come across that type of guy. I think he bought into what David and Shane are building into joints heavily involved. Josh Jacobs is another one not looking like there's anything uh, like the, albeit the Raiders this week have said that they are in a similar position where they'd like to kind of negotiate a one-year deal and that's Tony because his injury, he's not really deep. I think he recognises he should play over the tag. But uh, with Jonathan Taylor has asked for a trade and when you have the owner coming out and saying you have to earn your spot and various different pieces around players that have worked really hard to get to where they are, where with all due respect the owner has had that same uh, situation in his personal life uh, throughout the course of the years. It's a bit, it's a bit hypocritical for him to be coming out and saying that Brandon Williams, strong Johnson, Taylor was going to not see them or not be helping one in the offensive third year. Fancy football teams were bust on Jonathan Taylor not being available last year. Like, we're only a year off from when he was arguably the best, if not the best running back in the league. He's asked for the trade. I'd imagine there'd be numerous teams jumping, jumping and trying to get him. Yeah, in a strange offseason for running backs, is this the final storyline that kind of when it comes to fruition where we say, was we're devaluing running backs, maybe the biggest trade of the offseason will come later for a season with John Data or do you think he remains with the Colts and he gets all resolved? Yeah, and just as a little point there, my fantasy team was absolutely derailed by Jonathan um Taylor not um being able to play because he was my he was my uh, keeper pick. And yeah, yeah, we 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 did very poor. The conquistadors did very poorly because of him. Th- there's something that I'm starting to notice with this storyline is in that there are deals being put on the table that players are not taking, and I believe that the agent's influence is not causing this issue, but is directly influencing it. So Saquon was offered money mid-season along the 12-13. Um, million dollar range didn't take it he's now three three times under three contracts yeah. three various different contracts after Josh Jacobs was sat in the Raiders car park with the agent in the building talking to the team and the deal on the table was around the 12 13 million dollar mark didn't like it got on a plane has gone back home if that kind of money is it's it's signed then it increases the value of the market increases the tag because the average money then increases as well and then it gives the base a, a better baseline for the top players to negotiate because right now the t- top line is 10 million which is roughly what the cap is 10 11 million um look at Jonathan Taylor he in April said uh, the contract is the contract so I'll, I'll play it out and get an extension the agent gets involved now we have a holdout yes um Jim Mercer is one is like a Jerry Jones owner where you, if you're the GM you're just thinking off oh, of Please, please stop talking now. You're just making it, you're making the bargaining position impossible for us. Please just go back to um, trying to get dolphins out, uh, killer whales out of um, sea lands in there in Miami. Please, he does. He deserves to be paid. He should get paid. He's a top five player at the position. But you look at the agents and you look at what they're trying to put in place, and I think that's a wider conversation to have because when the money's on the table and the guarantees are there. And the signing bonuses are there. What are they expecting to get? Better if they say no and hold out and cause all of these issues in the media. That seems to be the bigger question right now. Uh, I, I certainly think you're on a, a very good point. Like, Saquon Boyacca has changed his agent during this offseason to try and get a deal done. 
um, and I didn't materialize. And, and a complete mismanagement on that situation. So I keep like, very close eye on that one being a giant fan. And said it seems to be developed says that he, he changed because he wasn't happy with the process. He wasn't happy with the way the agent was managing the situation. And um, for Jonathan Taylor, uh, from a playing standpoint, bearing in mind where he is in his career, you think he would, is he looking for the trade to kind of call their bluff? Or do you genuinely think he's, there's a part of him that's also saying, you know, maybe getting out of here wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Like, Pulse, with all due respect, I've been out And I agree with you, the owner should say, oh, hey, you should know, in a team that has a new quarterback, a new head coach, let them get on with it. Let Chris Bennett manage the situation. But do you think Jonathan Taylor, Adam, is about thinking the best years of my running back career are still there? And maybe, like, he's been, again, it's been speculated that the Chiefs are, I mean, he's probably looking at that they've got to like, go to the Chiefs or and the Bears are supposed to be in for him. I know the Bears are like have difficult years when they get things back on the right chip on the right pulse. I mean, do you think this is a part of the is it purely strategic to get the contract? Or do you think it's a part of the sinker? I want to get I want to get moved out of here as well. Yeah, and if you look at Indianapolis, you're looking at a team that's going to be um they're going to be invested in the rookie quarterback. So they've got at least three or four more years of a really nice salary cap number for the quarterback. What does that mean? It means that you invest in the other players on the team. So you can, like, look at Nick Chubb at uh, Cleveland. You can pay the running back when the quarterback isn't being paid. Yeah, the money is there to uh, to go around. And also, the Colts are only a year away, um, a year removed, sorry, from having one of the best offensive lines in the game. Yes, they lost um, their left, left tackle, which kind of really impacted them, but they still have Quentin Nelson. They still have Ryan Kelly. They still have Braden Smith on that line. Going into last year, people thought that they were going to be a contender. So in a team that's going to have salary cap money with an offensive line that's going to be, um, that should improve on what it was. And with Shane Steichen, who was shown in Philadelphia that the running back is going to be featured and featured well, that seems to be an overall setup that would be very good for him. But when you are listening to the agent and the agent says, right, you, you, you need to put this stuff out and then the owner's putting stuff out that you're then responding to, like I, he did because he's saying he didn't get injured he did pass his physical now you're just creating this this merry-go-round where the contract and that kind of transaction becomes so far away because of the bad blood that's now being created i think the indianapolis is a great situation for him um and i think that a lot of teams are going to want what jonathan taylor at full full tilt can provide for your team because he's a dynamic runner he can catch the ball out of the backfield he can pass protect Play all three downs, can do everything that you want. So the Colts could get a premium for him, but the situation and the setup is there for him to really thrive if they can settle the grudges and come to an agreement. In a division, let's be fair, is it's minimal. I think like with all due respect to the Jags who had a great run at the end of the season. I mean, we really don't know what, what Jags run at the season. The expectation is high, we really need to know pretty soon have them challenging again. But we've seen time and time again in in this division the flip flops and and on the Titans about a center hand over the past few years. I mean, if the Colts were to get it right, and you're right, like last year when they brought Matt Ryan in, Matt Ryan was running. He yeah, was struggling in in a lot of an offensive line, but if he has a right offensive line, also he then he you know he, he will see the Matt Ryan ball and it didn't materialize and and things you know kind of left him there. Um, speak, I'm just like quarterbacks because. These two are joined at the hip in the sense of how track stuff, and that's Justin Herrick and Joe Borrow. We've seen Joe Borrow go down there recently. You know, we spoke on the show earlier in the week. 
is the injury ser- more serious than they're letting on? And, and I, I was just to have a prayer on which rise and he said, and he suggests it's not, he's, it's going to be fine. But again, I still have doubts. More so than the contracts, because Joe Burrow doesn't seem to be in any hurry to get his contract. Justin Herbert has them to contract. I'll put the question to you. Who's under more pressure going into the season? Because they both have very similar aspirations. They both have similar race. They both have great attributes. They're both different cornerbacks in many ways. But they're both at a sense of their career where Joe Burrow has been to a Super Bowl and a ch- uh, chapter games. They just haven't got over the line properly. Helen Moore has been brought into sense of fix his offense and allowed Justin Herbert to flourish. What do you, who do you think is under greater pressure? Because people will suggest the Bengals should be there again. Chance Chiefs. A lot of people charges are, are too away from being in the Super Bowl as well. But show that which is an interesting dilemma. Which one do you think is greater? More or less better aspirations and who has better who has the better more of an expectation I think it's Justin Herbert, hands down. Because yeah, it, it's like having an Olympic swimmer with 10 kilos of concrete strapped to your back. Because the offense and everything that they've been able to do has been completely hamstrung by the fact that they had the 32nd ranked defense last year. Or if it wasn't 32nd, it was very close to being the bottom. So you've got this prodigious talent who should be going to the playoffs, should be going to, to Super Bowls and contending, should be in the MVP conversation, has signed a contract which is um, equal to his talent and is a fair market value of, of who he is. But we, we talked about the Chargers, probably the first um, the first of the series of the coaches under pressure with Brandon Staley because here's a guy who came from the the, um, the Rams, the, the, the McVay tree, and all of the things that went with it, and he came as a defensive mind who has not been able to put defense together because even if they were even remotely half average, the Chargers would be a much better team and a much better playoff team overall. Um, there's another pick from my fantasy team that seemed to struggle was Chargers defense. Just after three weeks, I've just been the moth because it was absolutely pointless. Um, but yeah, it's we know what Joe Burrow can do. We know how amazing he is. We know the players he has around him. He knows his system inside out. So potentially missing training camp and getting healthy isn't going to be the biggest thing. He had off-season surgery last year. Didn't seem to affect him that much. He's going to be able to come back in week one, hopefully, and and get the ball rolling there. But yeah, you when you've got the contract and people are now saying, well, you're a 40 to $45 million quarterback, that's when the pressure comes to be able to perform. And when you're doing everything that you need to on one side of the ball and you come off the field and you see the defense just get hemorrhaged up and down the field, it puts more pressure on you to make the throws that you probably shouldn't do to try and force that ball into double coverage and try and get it to Mike Williams when the safety's rolling over the top of the corner's got him in in man. There's a potential for him to drop off because he feels the pressure. He feels that he needs to step up more because the other side of the ball isn't doing enough to help him. Yeah, certainly the defense, like soon has to be corrected. The run defense in particular for the Chargers over the course of the last two or three years has been non-existent. And quarterback competition when it close out in this game, I want to bring it back to your books because they're in it. And Mariko Peace last night and ESPN said, it's probably the most undervalued and undersought quarterback competition you've seen for many a year in the offseason. As you to bring out, it's questions inside training app. But yet, there's been very little written so far. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it doesn't seem to be around Baker making the contrast. And um, as a Bucks fan, he's keeping a close eye on uh, what's, what's the initial uh, piece from the other Bucks cap around 
Um, Who's winning? Is it already given that Baker Mayfield has an RG ticket? Is it It isn't. And that's the worrying thing. Like Kyle Trask over the last few days. So I've been looking at the books inside a website, like religiously, always do through training camp. Kyle Trask, they, they, they flip days. One day they've got, uh, he's got the ones. One day um, Mayfield's got the ones. Trask over the last two days hasn't thrown an interception. Mayfield's thrown about five. And you've got this, here's the situation. You've got the number one overall pick who is now being played at the same level as a third-year player who's had about 20 snaps in the regular season and he was a second-round pick and they're actually level-pegging. It's, it's actually equal. Now, the problem that you have when you have a quarterback competition in camp is that you have to split the reps and that means the offensive line don't get the cohesion with the quarterback and the calls. The receivers don't get the timing and the adjustments, especially when you've got choice routes. Oh, if you do this, I'm going to throw it here, etc. You've got this issue of continuity. The longer a, a battle goes, the continuity will be a problem. Baker Mayfield in the locker room is the best person. He's, he's cocky. He's brash. He takes puts the team on his back. He's a great leader. Has been at whatever team that he's played at. The problem that he has is he is playing at the same level as the second round pick who's never played before, which is really, really worrying because I think what the books were hoping was we'll call it a competition, we'll give it a few days, and they'll do what they did in Carolina. Like They literally rocked up to training camp and was like, yeah, he's a starter, here's what we're doing going forward. And it's not been that, it's actually been level pegging. And if it continues on this trajectory, it could actually be Kyle Trask starting for the Buccaneers in September, which as a fan doesn't get me very excited um but then again would Baker Mayfield get me excited as well I'm not sure I think I think especially with this year we need to find out if we've got something in Kyle Trask that's the first thing that has to happen we need to um like if, from, from Todd Bowles's perspective he needs to keep his job so that he can draft a new quarterback in next year's draft because there's about at least 12 quarterbacks who could start in the league next year the, the, the depth is ridiculous across the board they're going to play Seahawks football, which is going to be run the ball a lot, uh, get the ball to the outside, um, throw it, phone it deep, try and take our shots on the play action, on the on the waggle, on the bootlegs. But yeah, it's it is close. There's it's a legitimate competition. That they're, they're both neck and neck. I think Mayfield, if I was going to put a fiver on it, will take it because of the leadership and the familiarity. But Carl Trask is not showing himself up at the moment. He is really making a case to be the starting quarterback in Week One. Do you think in preseason we'll see a scenario where they both have to play? Because you know, by the way, most NFL quarterbacks might play the opening drive and then we don't see them again for the remainder of the game. Um, I know previously in the old regime where there was four games, a tour game was essentially the daily tour preseason game because of the nearest seat to the real season they have. Those things seem to have gone away. But because the open competition is still there, do it merits them playing. Are we going to have to see a scenario where they both play? More preseason than, than is expected, or do you think they'll run with trust? Because he's probably the one that has the, he's the greater sample, so as a play, we're able to make a kind of a final definitive decision. It's tough because it's not just the quarterback staying in, it's which offensive line stays in with them. Yeah. Because if you if you get the starts and you get the starters, in the first two games at least, those starters are coming out after a series, maybe two. If it's really bad, they'll stay in for a quarter. But the rest of the game, you're running the twos, you're running the threes, you're running the bottom half of the roster to see who is going to make the team, who's going to make the practice squad. So yeah, you might have the starter staying in, 
but then he's getting demolished because the second team offensive lineman is not as good as whoever you're playing second team defensive lineman. So it's hard to get a read on that. And then when you get into the second half, you say, right, you've had the first half, you have the second. You're now with the thirds. So it's even worse to try and get the rhythm. You're throwing to these rookie receivers and all that kind of stuff. So making projections in the preseason is tough, um, especially when you've got a quarterback competition. Ideally, they need to have it figured out by game one, if not after game one, because being able to see what you need to there is really tough. That's why you have the joint practices. That's why you're going to get a lot more one-on-one time with ones-on-ones time. So with them, um, with different teams, that's going to be crucial for this competition. I can't remember who the books are, are pairing with this year. I want to say Tennessee, but I could be guessing. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see because I think it's the Jets. Or it could be the Jets. I think they had, yeah, I think they've had Tennessee previously. Um, oh, that'll be interesting because they'll they'll see that on the hard knocks. Um, but yeah. That's that's the kind of time you're going to figure out who your starter is because the preseason, we're really excited for a game this week, but it's not a reflection of what you need to see to make these kinds of judgment calls. Yeah, yeah. Like in fairness, like this has been kind of a continuous argument of Woody Anderson of reduced in preseason him from four to three. There's even a suggestion that I wouldn't surprise me calling two or three years side one for down to two. And unfortunately, I think the Ravens in particular, which you usually they lost two or three running backs in preseason games to serious ending injuries. You want you, you want to see players play. So it's the football, but the reality is, you know, players playing meaningless games came on Thibodeau last year, Mr. Forceman to sing because of it. I know against Bengals in preseason game, which it, in my mind was unnecessary. So the penalty, one or two cards that get injured, and then losing players for a nearly piece of the season, which is always frustrating. As you look forward to having you on next week, uh, by next week we will actually be going into preseason game. Then we'll have a look at the games that are played. Once you see the games and some of the key talk points go into those games. But as always, Andrew, love having the conversations with you. Looking forward to doing this up on again next week. Thanks very much. See you later.